0: Welcome to Montrose Bible Church. We're so glad you've chosen to join us as Pastor Matt and other church leaders challenge us with a message from God's Word. It is a tremendous blessing to be back with you in this new year. We pray that it will bring with it a new desire for God's truth And a new joy as we receive it. This morning we continue our sermon series from the book of Matthew. Uh, Before our break we found ourselves in the 15th chapter of Matthew's gospel. As Jesus left the geographical confines of Israel in favor of more pagan territories. For the first time in his public ministry he and his band of brothers ventured northwest. From Capernaum to Syrian controlled Phoenicia bringing salvation nearer to the Gentiles than they ever thought possible. You may recall the woman whose daughter had been plagued by an unclean spirit, begging and pleading that Jesus would cast it out. Couldn't help but recognize the boldness, the humility, the persistence of her faith as she came again. And again and again to the feet of the Jewish Messiah. Well, you're not one of the children of Israel, Jesus told her. I must feed them first. Yes, I know, the woman replied. But if there are a first people to receive food, then there must be a second group who get to eat also which means people from such places as Ture and Sidon, from Philippi and Rome, from New York and Montrose have a shot at this thing called redemption. Yeah? As Paul would declare many years later, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, yeah, but also to the Greek. And we praise God for that. Amen? Well, having exposed the apostles to their future mission field, and having witnessed the great faith of the Syrophoenician woman, the group traveled to the eastern shore of the Galilean Sea, where the crowds marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the lame speaking, Walking the blind seeing, and they offered up their praises to the one and only God of Israel. And they were so enamored with Christ, uh, these Gentile crowds. Well, they didn't want to leave him. No, they remained right there at his feet day after day after day, waiting to see what needs the Lord would meet next. Well, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 15 and follow along as we read God's word together, beginning in verse 32, Matthew chapter 15, verse 32, and Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days. And have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven, and a few small fish. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them, started giving them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. May God bless the reading. Of his word. Now, immediately upon reading this story, we are reminded of another. Only a chapter ago, we marveled as Jesus fed the 5,000. And so this miracle seems to be more of the same. In fact, many critics believe Matthew got his stories a bit mixed up at this point. Recording the same event twice in his gospel account. And if we look only at the similarities between them, well, we might come to that same conclusion. After all, with events, both events involve a large group of people who are in need. Jesus uses a few loaves and fish to feed them on both occasions, and there are plenty of leftovers to be gathered in the end. But there are more than enough differences here to prove that this is not the same incident that's been written down twice, but rather two distinct events, each given for a particular reason. Well, let's consider just a few of those differences. In the previous account, the group being fed were Jews. Here, they are mostly Gentiles. Before, the multitude had been with Jesus for one day. This crowd had been following him for three. Jesus used five loaves and two fish previously, while in this case there were seven loaves and a few smaller fish. Chapter 14, 5,000 men were fed, along with many other women and children. Here the number is 4,000. And while the surplus in the end filled 12 hand baskets, Amongst the Jewish people, there were seven large baskets of leftovers in Decapolis. And if all of that were not enough to convince us, Jesus himself refers to these as separate incidents in Matthew chapter 16, verses 9 and 10. It says, do you not understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you picked up? When we put all of this together, we realize this event involved a different crowd, a different need, and it challenges us to see different things. And so, though some of us would prefer perhaps to skip over this text because it is very familiar, we press into it even further further. And realize Matthew included this second miraculous feeding in his gospel to assure those to whom he was writing that the good news of salvation does indeed extend beyond the walls of Israel to include those of every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. As we consider this feeding of the 4,000 Gentiles, Let's appreciate the significance of this often neglected passage and the incredible truths that it presents. First, we can learn a great deal about the compassion of the Lord. Well, take a look back at verse 32. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people. Now, for the longest time... Believers have tried to put God into certain categories. The God of the Old Testament is one thing, while the God of the New Testament is something different. And the type statement that Jesus makes here in verse 32 feeds into that kind of thinking. Before Jesus came, God was vengeful. He was angry. He was unrelenting and full of wrath. But in Jesus, how he is loving and compassionate. That is often what we think, is it not? But God did not fill with care and concern all of a sudden in the beginning of the first century. He's been that way ever since there were people. Back in Exodus chapter 34, it is proclaimed that the Lord, the Lord God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, the people are reminded that Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he swore to them. Some 700 years before Jesus arrived on the scene, Micah wonders at that same reality. And he says, Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us and tread our iniquities underfoot. See, God has always been compassionate toward his people. And so when God the Son opens his mouth here in Decapolis, he's not declaring something new, but affirming again the reality of his own nature. Indeed, the entirety of Scripture reveals a God that is compassionate. But here's the interesting facet of this morning's text. Only here, and in the parallel passage of Mark chapter 8, only here does Jesus declare this to be true about himself in the first person. See, other people had described him as compassionate. Others observed that God was so. But only when looking at the faces of 4,000 Gentile people, does Christ speak of having compassion himself? The word he chooses is from the Greek, meaning literally, he is moved from within at the sight of this crowd. And what a revelation that must have been for the apostles who are following him on this foreign tour. So wait a second, aren't you the, Jewish Messiah? How can you be moved by them? They're heathens. They're outcasts. They're the low-down, dirty dogs with whom not a one of us would dare to associate. I mean, it's one thing to heal the occasional blind man out here, Jesus. And exercise a demon or two, I suppose. But let's not get carried away. What could you possibly see in them? Well, it appears that the great compassion of the Lord comes as he sees the needs of the people. We'll take a look back at verse 32 again. Jesus called his disciples to him, said, I feel compassion for the people. I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry for they might faint on the way. Now at the feeding of the 5,000 in Israel... Jesus was said to have compassion for a slightly different reason. According to Mark's account, Christ gazed upon the crowd who had gathered on that occasion, and he saw people who were like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, Christ recognized there was no one to feed them, no one to protect them, no one to lead them on the narrow path that leads to life. Perhaps he was indicting the Pharisees there for failing to perform that duty But either way, the Hebrew people were going astray because they lacked a shepherd to go on before them. That was the situation in Israel. Here, Jesus senses a different need amongst the Gentiles. See, here, the people who had been following him all throughout Decapolis were for three days able to put their own issues aside to be with Jesus. They were interested. They were committed and they were hungry, needing to be fed. On the one hand, Jesus is, of course, talking about their physical needs. People have run out of food and need to get something back in their stomachs before they grow weary. We don't want to dismiss that tangible necessity that they have in any way. But this observation that Jesus makes is true on a much more significant level as well. It would appear in addition to their physical hunger, these people have a burning desire now for the things of God. Get that indication back in verse 31 of this same chapter. We were told that in the aftermath of Jesus' latest wave of miracles, the pagan crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the cripple restored, the lame walking, the blind seeing. But they didn't stay in mere marvel. No, they then glorified the God of Israel as a result of the things that they had seen before Peter took the message to Cornelius, before Paul and Barnabas ever entered the territory of Galatia, Gentiles are turning their attention to Yahweh because of what Christ has done. They've gotten a taste of it, you say. And now they want more. But Jesus' insides are turning within him because he knows even if they follow him now in the moment if they aren't properly fed as they go away their spirits will dry up and they will wither he uses the word faint there to describe what could be their condition from the greek ekluo which gives us a picture of a bowstring That once was tight, but has now gone limp because it has been unstrung. And isn't that the certain reality in our lives as well? You know, it seems to me we have a whole country of people who will get excited about Jesus in a moment. Only to be slowly and surely starved by a lack of spiritual food that they so desperately are in need of. I have for a long time blamed that on the so-called church. And there's no doubt that leaders who avoid the word, prioritize other things, are largely at fault for this pandemic in American church society. But isn't it also on the consumer? People who knowingly and willingly choose Milk over meat. Style over substance. Entertainment over edification. The word of man over the word of God. Why do we make those kind of decisions? It's like the child who just wants dessert all the time. Instead of their meal. Say, you're going to be hungry later. No, this will fill me just fine. Plus, it tastes so good. Yeah, it does. But there's not nearly enough nourishment there to satisfy. It might be tasty, and people love to lap it up. But a couple hours later, you'll grow faint, and you will grow weary. Because you left the real food on the table. Over and over again, people complain to me that the preaching at their church is superficial. It's watered down, but they keep right on going. Because, well, it's just too popular and exciting a thing to resist. Jesus would say, man, you are going to starve yourself. And one day you're going to pass out. Because you haven't been properly fed. Here amongst 4,000 Gentile people, Jesus moved with compassion because they hunger. Both spiritually and physically, they hunger. And should he send them home without nourishment, he knows they are not going to make it very long on their own. Are you there? And so much that we can learn here about the compassion of the Lord, the needs of the people, and as we see in verse 33, the prejudice of the disciples. Jesus said, I feel compassion for these people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And the disciples said to him, inexplicably, based on what they have seen before, the disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? I believe it's fair to say that at times, like us, the disciples lacked a certain spiritual insight. I think it's also fair to say that Jesus' repeated attempts to teach them these things often took a while to sink in. In fact, the gospel writers tell us that many of the miracles that they had witnessed along the way failed to have their proper impact because the apostles' hearts were too callous and obscured. And it's possible that their response here is along those same lines, but I would suggest that their objection to feeding these people has a lot more to do with bigotry than it does naivety. You see, as we have already noted, this incident occurs only a short time after Jesus fed an even larger crowd than this one in Israel. With just five loaves and two fish, the disciples had a front row seat to see Christ multiply their rations until everyone had more than enough, including many leftovers no matter how slow they might be, I just can't see an entire group of men forgetting that thing just happened. You'd think they'd be excited to experience it again. I mean, Jesus, are you going to do the thing? (laughs) I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it is really something to behold. We just give him like a little bit. And then all of a sudden, by way of a supernatural import, there's more than enough to go around. You've not seen him do the thing? Jesus, do the thing. Why are they not excited like that? Could it be because even though they know Jesus can do the thing, they're not entirely sure that he ought to. So they ask him, where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? Or as Mark records it, where will we find enough bread in this desolate place to satisfy these people? Because of their... Prejudice against the Gentiles. These Jewish men. Didn't dream that Christ would provide for them. The same way he did for the lost sheep of Israel. After all it was forbidden at this time. For a devout Jew to eat. With a Gentile. Because of their uncleanness. Their unworthiness. And their ungodliness in Acts chapter 10 Peter said to a group of Gentiles you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him and then sometime later when Peter went up to Jerusalem to talk about his ministry those who were circumcised took issue with him we are told saying you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them How unthinkable a thing to do. That you would share a meal with. Those people. This is the prevailing mindset of the apostles. And others who had gathered there in Decapolis. Jesus says these people are hungry. We can't send them away without food. The disciples Shrugged their shoulders, thinking, I mean, I appreciate your compassion. But there's no way that we are breaking bread with the likes of them. Now, we read things like this and think, I can't believe the hypocrisy in that. The prejudice in that. The way that people treated one another who are different. Can we really not believe it? Or is this the kind of thing that continues to prevail among us today? We are not so different in our thinking. And I wonder if that hasn't been a barrier to the gospel going forth, even in a place like Montrose. We think, I know you love people, God, but not those People, right? They're poor. They're uneducated. They grew up on a different side of town than me. If anyone is going to feed them, well, it's not going to be me. Now, thankfully, the compassion of the Lord and the needs of the people trump the prejudice of the disciples. Allowing us to see the provision of Christ. Take a look back at verse 34. The disciples wonder, who is going to feed these people? Jesus says, we are. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. Jesus directed the people to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and the fish and giving thanks He broke them and started giving them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. As he did before Jesus asked the disciples what they can give. What do you have that you can give to them? Seven loaves. Great. A few small fish. Perfect. As long as that's all you have. As David McKenna said, God simply asks that we give him what we have so that he can show us how he works miracles with our meager resources. And this is just another example of his work in that regard. With the blessing of his father and the participation of his people, 4,000 hungry Gentiles were fed until they were satisfied, until they were cortazoed, that is, completely and totally filled up to the brim. And oh, how I pray that as we follow Jesus ourselves. That we would find that same satisfaction in him. You know, several years ago, my daughters attended the summer dance outreach program at Light of the World Ballet. And as they were being taught to share the gospel, one of the illustrations they were given was that of a sponge. I hear my 8 and 10-year-old are explaining to me their need to be completely immersed, filled up, satisfied, and saturated with Jesus themselves so they might pour it out onto others. It's such a simple but profound picture of what it means to be in our lives. And yet it occurred to me as they were sharing, you can be saturated with any number of things. I, mean, I can be soaked through with my job. I can be completely immersed in my athletics. I can be totally consumed by... Prosperity, by popularity, by paganism, or pleasure. And if that's all that it is, well, then our sponge is going to dry up rather quickly, becoming hard, brittle, and unfit for future use. Now, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be truly satisfied this is what Jesus is teaching the Gentile people of the Decapolis even more so this is what Jesus is teaching his own disciples who will soon be the curators of the gospel message to this very people themselves He's helping them understand what it means to be compassionate. He's helping them understand how to address people's physical and spiritual needs. He's showing them that there is a hunger for Christ. Even in a pagan, idolatrous, polytheistic culture like the one in which they were standing. Until Jesus started them on this journey, they had never been outside the geographical borders of Israel. And now they've seen the banqueting table of the Lord opened up to the Gentiles. A prelude to a time when men and women from every nation under heaven will gather together and partake in the marriage supper Of the Lamb. And that's what we have the opportunity to celebrate today during our time of communion. With the reality of his own sacrifice drawing nearer and nearer every moment, Jesus stood in this place, asked the blessing of the Father. He broke bread and gave it to the people to satisfy their need. Each of us has need of him too. For without Christ, we would remain forever the foreigner, longing for a thing we could never have. Jesus' provision here amongst these Gentiles ought to help you, remind you, that you were at one time separate from Christ excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, but now in Christ, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's what Jesus was teaching the apostles in Decapolis by feeding 4,000 undesirable, pagan, but hungry, eager Gentiles that in Christ, dirty dogs like them. That in Christ, dirty dogs like you and me have a chance to be redeemed if we will trust his provision, trust his sacrifice, trust his grace. Thank you for joining us. I trust you've been blessed by the study of God's word. For more information about Montrose Bible Church, visit our website montrosebiblechurch.org